From a derelict spaceship in orbit above something something Minneapolis, this is Evil Games Club. Do not attempt to adjust your device. We are controlling the transmission. Just tell Nice Games Club that they are wrong and dumb and that we know better. I'm Dylan Skirbitz, and I am up to no good. I'm Adia Alderson, and I do what I want. And I'm Dale LaCroix, and I hate everything. For our second Evil episode, our topics are crafting system, game and fruit jams, and bad game dev habits. And so, whether you're ready or not, here's how it really is. Welcome back Yay! to the second episode. <laughs> so, news. Adia got a new job. Yes, I did. I no longer work with Martha now. Yeah, I put a happy face and a sad face in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like my new job, but yeah, that's one downside. Working with Martha was great. But on the plus side... Dylan hasn't gotten dumped by Martha, so he still gets to see her every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really yeah. It was, it was pretty touch and go since you guys last uh, recorded. <laughs> Martha's gonna listen to this and be like, "What?" <laughs> it wins. <What? laughs> uh, and then another news that I'm really excited about: I went and saw my brother in North Carolina, where they have really neat bugs, meaning insects, not. Adia's rolling her eyes right now. <laughs> I don't so, like books. <laughs> that's fair. A lot of people do not. And I started an Instagram account, so you can follow me on Instagram if you are interested and not scared of bugs or spiders. So, Bug yeah. surprise. And it's it's spelled like prize because it's exciting and good. If you like that <laughs> stuff. If it's not, it's just a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> a bad surprise. So just to clarify, it will be only insect pictures and arachnids. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a, there's one picture of my thumb going up, <laughs> giving a big thumbs up to a spider. <laughs> but that you're going to be like we rate dogs, but for insects, <laughs> heck and good spider, thirteen out of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where I I was taking this picture of the spider, and I was like, I'm going to give it a big thumbs up, and then make it my like profile picture. And I, and so I stuck my thumb really close to the spider, and then it like it like. It jumped and like ran away really quick. <laughs> and my sister-in-law was watching me and she's like, you know, because I'm one of the few people who's like not jumpy around bugs. And, and so like I jumped when like suddenly it moved and she's like, oh, Dale, you're a human after all. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will stick my hand right next to a, a big old yellow writing spider. Ooh, I'm super nope. not cool with that. I don't even I don't, want, right? want to think about it. I don't mind bumblebees. They're the most adorable thing ever. I've had bumblebees like land on my hand and stuff like that. They're cute. <laughs> with that, why don't we get into our first topic? <laughs> it's crafting systems. Woo! Yeah. So this was something that Adia loves. Yes, I do. Um, and it's something that we're revisiting from Nice Games Club. This was one of their very first few, like within the first five episodes, I yeah. think. So if you want to go back and listen to that, um, it's in the episode. It's against the Lost Stop. It was their second episode. Yeah, I didn't wow. realize that because I went to go listen to it again and I had to scroll all the way down. <laughs> I was like, way back then? Yeah. <laughs> I thought we could just start, start talking about what is your favorite game crafting system. Yeah, so... <laughs> there are two that I'm really into. It's hard to say a, a favorite because there's pros and cons for a lot of them. But currently, I really like the food crafting system in Breath of the Wild. So I enjoyed finding the recipes and collecting things and figuring out what made what. And you can also do different potions and stuff like that, which was really fun. And then uh, I have yet to play Divinity Original Sin 2, which I'm going to play soon. But in the first one, I really love their crafting system as well. 
Wait, there is there's crafting in that game too? Yes. You're playing with me, so I'll craft all the stuff. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So uh, those are the two that I think do it really well. One is because they have a large amount of exploration. So a lot of times in crafting systems, it, it's nice to experiment and be rewarded with things. You're like, did they put this in the game? Oh, what? This is in the game? And you're surprised that they would think that someone would put these two things together and there's an actual outcome for it. Like, I think in, I probably said this in the previous podcast, but if you take like a metal pot and a hammer in Divinity Original Sin and combine them together, you get a helmet. And so you have this like pot that you're running around all the time. I didn't think it was going to work because I didn't have a helmet. I was like, oh, dang, I have a pot and a hammer. I was like, maybe I could put this on my head. And so I tried to put it on originally, didn't work. I was like, oh, maybe I have to bang it into shape. And it worked. Those are like fun surprises that I really love about crafting systems. And that's funny because Mark refuses to cook in, in Zelda. <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> How does Steven feel about cooking in yeah. Zelda? He, surprisingly, he uses it a lot. So one of the reasons he does is because he decided to go uh, straight stamina. For uh, his original uh, run before his hearts caught up. And so he would look for stuff that gave him more health or health bonuses. And so he used that. So he would have enough health for things. So it became kind of essential to his, his exactly. game strategy. Which I think is great. And one thing they did really good with this, uh, really well with this crafting system is because it be- feels almost like you can change your play style depending on how you decide to craft. For example, um, if you decide to go for speed stuff and where you're traveling instead of using... Uh, armor you can craft certain items that give you defense against heat and cold and stuff like that a plus job on that game my thoughts the bugs are too hard to catch <laughs> that's what i have to say no i used i definitely like i don't think i got the most out of the crafting system because i got really annoyed with not having like explanations like i wanted later on to like get stuff that would tell you like oh here's a really good uh you know like a good a good recipe that you can use and i ended up sort of like doing it minecraft style where i essentially wikipedia it and just went and found like what's the best thing and what it came down to for me like because uh i went like the opposite way of steven where i just went full hearts but i always figured you know you can always use some more hearts so that's basically what i did is i took the the hearty radishes and just filled my entire inventory with stuff that raised me to full health and added a bunch of extra hearts because yeah i mean that was that just seemed like the easiest thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I engaged with it, though. Yeah. So that's interesting because if you go in certain houses in every town, especially in like the inns or in the when you're going to the stables for your horses, if you look on the walls, there's posters that have the recipes on them. Huh. I yeah. never <laughs> saw a single one of those. And so Wait, you, were you not going in the houses? I No, I went in lots of houses. But okay. I didn't, I didn't like look nothing around. else is lookable in those houses, you know, like it's not like there's a lot of interactable furniture. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not interactable. But if you look on the walls, it'll show different recipes and how to make stuff. And then oh. certain people you talk to, uh, especially if you go in any places that look like kitchens, you'll see small things laying out that have recipes and stuff like that. So that's how I found a lot of recipes out was uh, looking at those. It's wow. weird that like. I must have just been an idiot. <laughs> I played 120 hours of that game and never saw a single one. Wow. And I, mean, wow. I saw plenty of kitchens, but no, I never saw yeah. any recipes. Yeah. It's similar to the potion house that you go to later in the game. If you look on the wall for like dyes and it has like the dye recipes on the wall. I just made my dyes. I didn't. Oh, if you look on the walls. (laughs) (laughs) See that part, I didn't have a problem. Like I nailed all the dye stuff without like, yeah, I can't remember how I, I just sort of 
you know, threw stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think that's another thing I like about this. I know in the previous episode when Steven and Mark were talking about it, uh, one of the things that they disliked about crafting systems was the tedium. So uh-huh. uh, they didn't like, I think Mark described it as basically if they just give you a list, you're just looking for things to match the list and you're just following yeah. instructions, which he said he's a manual type guy, but that didn't do it for him. I think one of the reasons is uh, we talked about player motivation on the previous one yep. and their player motivation for the game is a lot different than mine. So yep. I really enjoy that. If they, even if they give me like a list of recipes and I have to like put them together and I know how, because it's the exploration. It's kind of like when you're going on a scavenger hunt. And so you know what you need to get. Uh-huh. And it's amazing when you're like going, okay, if I get this, this, and this. And there's usually a journey sometimes for a lot of the higher end items. Like, uh-huh. oh, you have to climb this mountain to get the scale of a dragon to put together to make this really cool potion. And I enjoy that. I like going through on my journey and finding things and realizing I can make cool stuff with it. Uh-huh. And it gives me a sense of ownership of the stuff. I'm like, oh, I have this and this and this. And so that's why I kind of enjoy that even if it's just a list and I already know how to do all the crafting systems because it's the exploration part that really does it for me and it gives more incentive to like explore more of the world because you're looking for stuff to craft Mm -hmm. and I do like when they have stations so Steven talked about how oh yeah yeah Yeah, because they all kind of agreed on that where they didn't like when you had to go to a specific place to do your crafting Mm -hmm. so you probably remember in the previous podcast that I talked about how I like realism in my games the closer you can get to it the better so i love it when i have to like go into like a forge and i have to work on first the um hammering it out like the whole blacksmith process and i have to put it in the kennel or the furnace and then i have to uh, give it to the right temperature and when i'm done then i have to take it out and i have to go to a cooling station and stuff like that but Uh that's really cool (laughs) Uh uh-huh or when you're cooking you have to like first put in the pot and then in the fire first and or you have to put in the baker uh you have to bake it first and after it bakes and you can add stuff onto it later like that's really cool and it gives a sort of more realism to the game yep. than if you're just walking around and magically you have everything you need to make a sword in yeah. the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and it gives sort of a reward. So like when you get into town, you have like, oh, I'm excited because now I can make my stuff and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about proportions? So like and things that like affect your health or co- cooking. Where do you have to, do you like when you have to go into town to do your cooking or you can only do it at night when you stop at a camp? Yeah. So in, uh, to me, that's kind of more like, I need it now because my health is really low. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think uh, Zelda Shines, uh, in Breath of the Wild, you had an option where you could set up a campfire and cook your stuff there when you need an immediate, but it wasn't as, you know, it didn't give you as much health as if you actually went into town or found a pot to actually cook your food in because then you can do a better job. Uh-huh. And so it kind of realized that like you're roughing it when you're out. And so you can uh-huh. only get so much stuff. And then when you finally get to town, you can bake the good stuff. <laughs> so uh, that I'm going to probably talk about with a while because I loved the how they did that. And it's so seamless in the game. I uh-huh. feel like to me, it didn't seem tedious or extra because it had that whole survival element where you like started with nothing and you kind of build yourself up. And that added to it. I always like when they had Hunger the Games. I also like crafting systems that add a lot of customization. So the die system was great because I like to coordinate my outfits. <laughs> okay, but that's not cor- that's not actual, like, you're not changing your abilities and stuff like that. Like, that's what I would have liked to see out of that crafting system is a little more, like, you know, mix and match so you can pick, you know, a, a different bonus. So you can have, like, a little bit of climbing bonus on your barbarian armor so that you don't have to keep switching. Because that's what I found with, at least on, on the 
on the weapon side of it or on the, the armor side of it is that I got frustrated that I had all these really nicely coordinated outfits that I had to continually switch between because I'm like, Oh, now there's some water and I have to put on my water outfit. Like, I mean, again, yeah, I think that adds to the realism, but on some level, like it just got tiring to be like, I don't have like my character never had a look, you know, it's yeah. not like, I really like that about things like, um, I mean, I've never played it that much, but like, wow, does it that way? Or, uh, the some of the other big MMOs where like you can you know you can keep the identification like the the not just the coloring but like the shape and how mm-hmm. different cool bits of armor and apply different bonuses to them and I would have liked you know a little more freedom to sort of mix and match in that sense yeah I, uh, my favorite thing in that when you have a crafting system that especially for a look and design is really uh, expansive the weirdest thing that I feel like a lot of games are doing a lot more now is before where you would make this beautiful outfit, you spend all this time crafting a beautiful dye, went and got the golden thread and everything to make this really cool armor. And then two levels is useless. And now you have to put on this ugly armor that you put no work and time to because it's the better armor to wear. And that mm-hmm. usually makes any crafting system kind of useless. Cause then you don't feel the incentive to do it. It's like, why would I wear this in two levels? It's not going to be worth yeah. it anymore. And there's a lot of games where I didn't engage in the crafting system for that exact fact. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. But uh-huh. uh, a lot of new games give you two slots where you have a slot for the armor that's applied and then another slot for cosmetics. So you yeah, can like be, Terraria does yes, that. Yes, Terraria does that too. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Those are two <laughs> games I really love the crafting system in. I've been playing a lot of uh, Starbound. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they have a similar thing where you can have a look and then the underneath. And when me and Steven play... I do all the crafting. I cook all the food. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and kind of do all that stuff. And he likes the more kind of fighting in, uh, in the game. But how they do it is that you don't know how to make everything right away. You get a workbench that has blueprints on it. Uh-huh. And so when you start playing, uh, you unlock things as you make new stuff and uh, enhance the blueprint builder. And so it shows you what you can make and stuff like that. And half the game is just exploring and there's this rush when you find something like you were desperately needing, like, oh, now I can make this really cool bed or lamp and stuff like that. So, and theirs is really vast. There's a ton of stuff you can make. So I guess if the three top things I like is, um, I like when the crafting system surprises you. So it allows for a lot of weird out of the box combinations that you wouldn't normally think of. Uh-huh. I like ones that are uh, expansive where there's a lot you can make. And if it has a high customized kind of ability, that allows you to keep those for long durations of time or have it somewhere where you can have a style and not have to change it all the time. Cause then uh, you lose the incentive. Yeah, I think so I've been playing destiny Two, or I played it a little bit still out. Curse you Bungie. <laughs> I just don't understand why they would pick a flagship game, release it two months earlier for consoles. Anyway. Um, but I, <laughs> so I was playing destiny Two, and they have, I think they do half of it really well. Like you were saying about, uh, about keeping, you know, a particular style because uh, the way it works that for them is that you can take a low level gun that you really like and essentially sacrifice a high level gun to bring the low level gun up to that level. So especially, and that's really nice because that is also a game that has a lot of randomly generated perks. So if you find, you know, level two, this gun that's like got all the stuff you want and it's like, it's just got like a, a really good set of abilities. You can just keep, making it eat better guns and it gets better. So it like oh. follows you through, which I really like. That's really cool. And, and yeah. yeah, it's like, it works really well. It's a good system. But on the other side, what you were talking about, like th- that is their, like the only crafting element. Oh, in it. Okay. So like it, 
it it's like a loot game with no loot almost because they're like you know the gun diversity they've got some but it's not, it's no Borderlands it's no Star like Starbound is incredible for that where you're talking about like just just the sheer number of things you can make in that game yeah. is absolutely mind boggling like it's it's a truly vast crafting system and that I think works really well because they do a really nice balance between like the list like you know here's here's the things you can make and here's what you need to make them yeah and the sort of discovery element of finding the blueprints and stuff like i think starbound yeah absolutely nails that i think that's one of the best i mean it's essentially the entire game so it's good that it's good yeah like, uh-huh. it is a really like an exemplary way yeah. to build your game around crafting and i think they did a good job uh, hitting a lot of other player motivations too because like me and steven both play we both enjoy the game but for entirely different motivations yeah, yeah. I haven't played Witcher. How is the crafting system in that? In Witcher? It's it's good. It's interesting. So um there's kind of two crafting systems. There's um there's one for materials. So um going into weapons and armor and that's one where it's station based and it's um it's based on like craftspeople. So you 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 collect wood and you collect metal and you collect things and and leather and then you take it to a tradesperson in town and there are different levels of tradespeople so they can and you hand them blueprints oftentimes um and they can make it for you and then you pay them a fee and sometimes you have to buy like a little bit of extra leather depending on what you have and then they make it for you and so that's kind of a station-based thing and that makes sense to me yeah. Because it's it's stuff that you don't need right away. Like you can wait for your armor <laughs> <laughs> and your sword is not like the potion that you need to drink right there. Um, and then they also have a kind of a potion system where you do that on the fly and you can do that at any time. Um, and then you can also buy ingredients in town for that as well as collecting them out in the world. It's flowers and things like that. Um, but what is interesting about the Witcher one is each system has different levels within the thing. So um, I'm going to use the example of food and making a sandwich. Um, so instead of just being like, for your sandwich, you need turkey and you need bread and you need mayonnaise and you need <laughs> cheese. breakfast. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, you know... It will go, and if you don't have bread, it would be like, for bread, you need milk, and you need eggs, and you need wheat, and you need yeast, that kind of thing. So, like, there's no food in Witcher, but, like, it's the same thing with, like, these potion ingredients. And so, you could go into town and and buy some bread, or you could have go into town and buy, like, the missing eggs you don't have. And then create the bread and then create the sandwich to eat. So it's like a hierarchy system where you can either build it or buy it. Yep. And then, and then, and then, um, yeah. And so, and then within that hierarchy system, you also have um, on the material side where you're, you know, you can take scraps of leather and then make them into a bigger scrap of leather, essentially. <laughs> like it's strips of leather and then you make it into like oh, a, a thing of leather. <laughs> Um, then you have to pay a pay a, uh, a craftsperson to do that for you. And so what it does, it kind of like, you know, like then you have all this like money floating around and you're paying for like ingredient or, you know, ingredients or materials and you're paying for craftspeople to do this for you. And then you're paying for the final thing. And what's really hard is for each thing, 
you get the list of ingredients. And so for bread, like, you know, or for your sandwich, you, you look at the thing and you're like, oh, I need bread. And then you have to like scroll up and then find the bread <laughs> and then find the ingredients you need for bread. And then remember those ingredients that you need for bread and like try to like kind of remember how much all these things cost. <laughs> and so it's, it's a little difficult in the fact that you don't really know like the economy of it and mm-hmm. what's economical to buy. And like when you're running out of stuff, you forget and, like, some of the ingredients are just really, really expensive. <laughs> oh, man. And so then you're like, okay, well, but you need that. And and so you're going into town and then you're, then you're, like, trying this shopping list. So, like, it's really, really interesting because there's lots of stuff and lots of levels. And, like, yeah, that's that's how food works is, like, you don't just, like have bread to make a sandwich so, like that bread comes from somewhere yeah. <laughs> you know like like i guess we could all just eat like like oatmeal or or porridge all the time oh. <laughs> where it's where it's just ingredients in one pot pot, one pot meals but that's that's not how things work work oh, man. um so so it's very interesting in that way but like it does get difficult when you're like scrolling up and down trying to figure out oh this ingredient and then like you're sitting on your couch and you're like i can't make a shopping list for a video game (laughs) so it was insane (laughs) yeah i'm glad you brought up ui because i think that's one thing that can make and break a crafting system like the crafting system in the latest mass effect has that same problem when it has an awful ui imagine making a crafting system where you have to look through everything in the worst folder system known to man (laughs) and it doesn't give you any incentive why you would make things. Like, it's really hard to find out, is this better than what I'm wearing? Because there's no really quick way to do a comparison. You have to oh. go through a lot of menus and stuff like that. I mean, you're just buying things because this seems good. This seems worst crafting system I have ever seen in a very long time. And it hurts my heart because I'm a really big Mass Effect fan. But oh. They just dropped the ball on the last game. Oh, Witcher does such a good job yeah. with that. Because, like, when you go into a store and you're like, what's this armor that I could buy the full set of armor or I could have them craft this full set of armor. It like, it literally gives you the stats of like, this is like plus this much more than, you know, Mm -hmm. more than what you're currently wearing. And so it's just like, boom, that's like how much better it is. Yeah. I don't remember how many times I've crafted the exact same thing in the latest mess. And then when I realize it, I'm so angry. I normally delve into crafting system. It takes a lot for me to not want to touch it. I didn't touch it. I just like, okay, I found this. I'm just going to put this on because why bother? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that the Witcher has a good UI when it comes to that. Like I have no complaints there, but I just, the, the crafting system ended up being a lot like it reminded me too much of fallout, like especially fallout four, where it's just like, there are too many things. Like I don't like every, the, when you get to your inventory, like even the mid game and it's just, you have 400 things. You have mm-hmm. like your food things. You have your crafting things. You have your fighting things. Like you just have things on things on things and things to Wait. the point where it's like you just spend half an hour being like, okay, so I'm moving like baubles and watches from this to a box. Like, they don't, that, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have an organizing bottom. It's like in Divinity Original Sin, you can sort 
and then it groups all your things by category. And then when you go to crafting, it sorts again by crafting. Oh type. yeah, no, like it, it separates them into categories. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I, I don't have complaints yeah. about the UI. I just think that the sheer amount of it makes for uh, like too much. Like, yeah, it's, it's inventory it's, management. Yeah. And there's inventory. Even management. when it's very clean and like, you know, it, it, yeah, I think the yeah. UI and then you, is really And then you well have done. like a place where you can just store stuff. So you don't have to carry it around with you because you have a limited amount you can carry around with you and it's it's a very high limit and you can like increase it when you buy like saddlebags for your horse even though your horse isn't with you all the time <laughs> <laughs> you still have access to all that extra yeah, stuff yeah, in it teleport um, yeah. <laughs> that horse is good yeah, you know like the best. you may swim to an island but you whistle and that horse is there <laughs> you move it and it's essentially like your closet at home and so like it just takes forever and you're like do i want to keep this and i can put it in my closet at home or i could sell it and then they're just like dropping stuff to get rid of it to lose that's so weird weight. i find that part fun like after a mission i set dedicated time <sighs> to go through my inventory make anything i need reorganizing stuff. So have so, you played Fallout 4? You would love Fallout 4. I haven't yet. I ended up last, yeah, this happened to me last night, just like like internally screaming in frustration because, so I have a little house that has, it, it's very dedicated, there are dedicated crafting stations and you have to craft the crafting stations. So I've got my little crafting stations and I said, oh, I want to work on this power armor because now I have some science abilities. I can like add some cool abilities to my big awesome mech suit. Um, only I can't build the power armor crafting place even though i have tons of power armor so i have to get in my power armor walk over to the other crafting thing and this is what drives me nuts so the way that the crafting works in fallout is there's a category called junk which is just stuff you can pick up in the world that can be broken down into components that you then use you know screws steel Mm -hmm. gears stuff like that that you can use to construct stuff but it weighs it weighs stuff in your inventory and so you end up having a workstation that has you know four to 600 pounds of junk. So, and I know where like, I have to get my power armor to the power armor crafting station, which is literally behind a door and a loading screen, which means I have to pick up everything from this one crafting table, walk through a door, sit and wait for a loading screen just to carefully unload it all into another one. And the worst part is it has an unload button where you can just store all junk but it doesn't have a take all junk button. So I had to sit there for like three minutes, just hitting a, as fast as I could to pick up seal, you know, fans and clipboards and shoes and stuff. Like it's so frustrating and like, and it could have been solved, you know, if I like, if they didn't gate the, the building of the craft, the crafting station for the power armor behind, like behind leveling. So it's literally punishing you for not being high enough level that nope, you're just going to have to like literally wait, sit at a load screen and wait. That uh, like sounds, that's, it's even though I'm saying like that's bad decision making right there. <laughs> I could talk about crafting systems all day, but we have more topics. Oh yeah, we probably should go on, shouldn't we? <laughs> all right, so our next topic uh, is going to be game jams. Woo-hoo! We're going to be sort of running parallel to the uh, discussion that Nice Games Club had in their episode Bananas from Here to Eternity. Uh, and Dale wants to talk about jams in general, which is good because I actually, one of the things I pulled out of here was about non-game jams, not preserves, but another kind of jam. So um, the, one, <laughs> the thing that I found jams. really interesting, because I have a lot of opinions about game jams. I've done uh, two or three of them. I can't remember. Maybe just two. Um, so I participated in the Global Game Jam, which is a big, like, you know, worldwide, very popular 48-hour game jam uh, that usually takes place in, like, January. So pretty early yep. in the year. 
Um, and I also participated on the train jam uh, to GDC this year, uh, where a bunch of devs get on a train with no Wi-Fi access. Uh, and for what is it's about three days? I think. I'm trying to think. How does everybody get files to each other? Flash drives. Everybody brings flash drives. Yeah, that's why. It, so it's yeah. Martha talked uh, or Mark that's- talked to Martha about you know about using GitHub and stuff like that. This is a. It's very important to know your commits and stuff like that when you're trading without Wi-Fi because it's hard. You're going to lose time if you oh. have to re redo stuff because you committed over someone's work. Um, yeah. So it, it was a real challenge. But that's the thing about game jams that I find is that a lot of a, a lot of it is very you get out what you put in. Uh-huh. Um, and the the general consensus of the Nice Games Club was generally that like these are they're really fun low pressure events where people are sort of encouraged to just, you know, come together and it really it cuts down on how much you know, how much thinking you have to do. You're just there to make you have one thing, one system that you want to get right. Um, but as someone who's not very capable when it comes to making video games, it is I think it's a lot more stressful when you're not, you don't have coding abilities. So what okay. I've done mainly is I've done a lot of music work for these things. I did, did voice recording. I did music editing and composing for a couple of games, for a lot of games actually in the, on the train jam. Um, and you basically feel useless because like I was sitting there at the, the train jam, there were, there were four of us in our group, um, including me. And the other three were all programmers, which meant I just sort of was like, Hey, do you guys need some, uh, some free sound effects. I downloaded them and then I pass those along and then go back to staring out the window. Like, Oh no. <laughs> it, oh like, I think it's, um, and it's funny because one of the things Mark talked about uh, when they talked about it was how much he didn't like uh, film jams where they do the same thing, a 48 hour film festival where everyone gets together and film something. And as someone who's much more like humanities, like that uh-huh. sounds amazing. I could do all of those things. I can act, I can write, I can record, I can edit. Like these uh-huh. are all things that would be totally in my wheelhouse. So that just got me thinking like, maybe I'm in the wrong business. I shouldn't be going to game jams. Yeah, I should be going to film jams. We need sound and music. Like when I was at my game jam, that kind of made our game. So I did a visual novel and it's kind of hard when you don't have any music or effects or kind of really cool sounds. Uh, Sarah uh, did our uh, music for our game, and she did an amazing job. Oh my gosh, we had such good stuff. Uh, oh, man, so, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. speaking of uh, Divin- Divinity Original Sin Two, have you? Like, it's I don't fully know, voice. I, I, it is entirely voice, which is crazy. But the music, you get to pick your instrument at the beginning, oh. and then the music for like all of the battle scenes and stuff. So there's like a main instrument that's kind of like a like a synthy organy kind mm-hmm. of thing, but there's always this like counter melody playing and you get to choose that. So you can choose from like flute and oud and a bunch of other, like, you know, so yeah, there's cool. That's so music cool. Choices. So you get your own yeah, theme you song. You really get your own theme song. It's super, super well done. <laughs> okay. I'm so excited. Why are we playing today? Um, I don't know. Cause you had to record a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can play tonight. I, I was going to go home and play it just so I could figure out how it works because oh, we can really join you. Cause it's, it's, for those who are going to play the game, it's best to play with friends. It's an okay single player experience, but you get the most out of it the moment you add friends. It's it's one of those games. Well, one of us has played the game, and I'll say it's not an okay single player experience. Don't play it. You'll die. <laughs> I <I'm> agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adia, you've done game jams. I went to the, uh, what is it called? The Global Game Jam is yeah. what they call it? Yeah. And we did a visual novel. I did the programming for it. And it was a great experience because it gives you that kick in the butt that sometimes I don't have when I'm like at home. 
Because uh-huh. when you're in an isolated environment where all you have for the next 48 hours is to like make this game, you produce insane incentive and like motivation to do this. Like I finished a visual novel in 48 hours. That's insane. <laughs> we're at yes. home. You're like, oh, let me start. And then 15 layers is like, what is everyone saying on Twitter? And then like two days go by and you haven't touched the game. Like I have a lot of unfinished games that just sit there in like folders and I start them. And I'm super excited. I'm like, oh, guys, I'm working on this game. And then time goes by. I haven't touched in a while. And then I'm like, I want to start this again. Oh, I got this new idea. And so then I'm perpetually making games that never get finished. And when I go to a game jam, it's a nice motivator because Uh most of the games that I have finished all came from game jams. Uh, Glitch had one for their uh, immersion program. At the end, you do a game jam. And I was able to finish another game in Unity. And surprise, when I started that, I had no idea how to use Unity. I was going in cold and I made a game, which was super cool. And it gives you a lot of motivation afterwards. Like I felt I was more, uh, I guess, productive like two months out after the game jam because I was still on that game jam high of like, I finished a game. So I'm all for them. really long lasting. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Two months? Yeah. It's like when you go to the developer conferences and you come back and you're like, I'm going to program every day. Well, that's fascinating because that's still like – the complete opposite of what they the nice games club talked about. The way they they talk about game jams is like, yeah, it's just a good chill time to learn things. Like, no, it's a crunch fest. Yes. You're literally learning uh-huh. to crunch like a video game developer. Especially Steve, Steven talking about like, yeah, you know, you can bring bring a sleeping bag or you know, just go off and sleep. It's like, yeah, no, you, you the looks you get when you're like, I'm gonna go sleep, and the rest of the game jammers are like, okay, whatever. What's oh speaking of sleeping bags i did sleep for like i think four hours the first night and four hours the second night so eight hours between two days that's i think that's pretty good sleep is important so uh adia's note for a healthy game jam please get at least four hours of sleep each night you'll be a better person i promise yeah i just had Uh full nights of sleep every day (laughs) they're not gonna (laughs) allow me to compromise my sleep schedule it's hard enough to get those hours (laughs) Yeah, and I have never participated in a game jam because I'm not a programmer. No, so I would like to dispel but, that myth right now. If you are but, not a programmer. But, but that doesn't mean I couldn't. Yeah. Amber is always like, come, they need project managers. And yes, I can tell people what to do, but like, I am like so far out of it. I don't know Well, I've what just- to tell people to do, but like, I'm also not into music and I'm not really an artist. So I've kind of stayed away. Well, but dispel your myth, please. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, you literally said exactly what I was going to say. Uh, the last game jam we had, Stephen was doing project management. He was just making sure people got things turned in on time. When we had like a beta product ready, he went around and had people test and play the game so uh-huh. we could get feedback on what we needed to change. He was keeping up with people to make sure like when people took breaks that they came back and we were hitting deadlines and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the reasons we made a game. He was okay. really good at making sure people were on time. And he was help motivated. He's a good pep talk. Yeah. You're he like, is kind of a good Right? Uh, it's midnight. Guys, guys, you're not supposed to say nice things about them. Come on. Oh, Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a good pep talk for a horrible person. <laughs> but actually, I, I totally agree. It's so imperative to have someone like that. Even if the, it's not like, you know, even if it's just one of the people who's doing something else. But like. That's the problem with game jam games is if you don't have like a a clear vision that is articulated and everyone has their thing to do, the game just sort of slides and you Uh like, especially there's nothing worse than like, you know, having discussion with someone where you think that you have both 
like split off to do your separate things and then coming back to find that you've both worked on the same thing uh, is disastrous and especially in game jams where every every hour counts having someone who oversees people and knows what they're doing and how it's going to fit together is like ah it's so useful it is yeah so i kind of see game jams as like a great place to learn skills really quickly because obviously you have to because <laughs> kind of getting thrown into into things and i kind of see it as like this weird like school project environment yeah where like you're learning you're getting thrown in with like a bunch of people that you might know you might not know and you're you have this tight deadline where you have to have some sort of product by that time so like that that's kind of how i see it and that's but i like as a like a more and more accomplished game developer. It's kind of like our game jam still fun because you're making something really, really quickly. And if you're, you know, if you're, you're a big wig at a triple A company, <laughs> well, like, then you probably haven't programmed in years. So it'll be okay. valuable. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. What's this unity thing? <laughs> I think they're still valuable because not only just meeting other people, but, you can be a mentor to someone else. And I think that's really helpful. So like if you could pair with someone who may not be as comfortable in the programming language and you could be the lead on it and you can kind of help them along. I've seen that happen multiple times where there's people who were really good at what they're doing, got in someone who's kind of new, but wanted to try it out. And they were a great resource for that person. You also make good connections. So you talk to people and you're like, oh, hey, you do X, Y, Z. And then later down on the road, you're like, oh, remember that person who did music for a game? Let's contact them. We have a uh-huh. project. We want them to work on it. So so it's a networking thing. Yeah. So and like a better than just like, a, hey, I met this person at this thing because you spend time with people yep. and you really remember them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wanted to talk about forming game, game jam groups because I think that this is probably one of the hardest thing and obviously what shapes your entire weekend and experience. Mm-hmm. So when you're at a game jam and you're looking for a group, how do you find one and like how do you like like there's people swirling around and project ideas swirling around how do you either find a project that you would work on or attract people to your project or get the right combination of skills attracted to your project uh it's the worst part of the game jam it's a panic inducing nightmare uh no, so different <laughs> game jams use different uh, like tactics. So like especially the um, like most of them will have a short period before the game jam starts where people who already have ideas just come up and stand in front of everyone, yell their idea as fast as they can, and then move on. So like that's a good way to get like an like sort of an overview of what projects are going to be happening. But yeah, like honestly, as someone who's not, I'm very bad at inserting myself into social situations. I don't do good at walking up and saying, well, hello, fellow kids, what you working on? So I typically, like, honestly, I, what I would prefer is if it literally were like a group project where you wrote down your name and what you were going to do, like, you know, producing or music or coding. And then they went through and sorted them out into equal teams and were like, here, now you're working with, you know, Gary and Sally. And you just have to work with those people because like, it's so stressful. And the worst part is like, you know, at at our first game jam, we ended up or Martha and I ended up in a group with people who we didn't know. uh, But the group rapidly, like we got together, we sort of had an idea for a game. We talked about it uh, and then, you know, sat down and formed our group. And then 10 minutes later, we realized that 
two of the devs were only Unreal devs, and Martha was has never used Unreal at all. So we were uh-huh. like, essentially, after everyone else had already formed, we were like, great. Now we need to find a new project because oh, you know yeah, we're not going to be doing the things we want to do. And we ended, you know, yeah, we ended up having you know going over and doing stuff with Mark, but like it's super stressful and not at all fun in my opinion. And it's like it's the worst part of it about the game jam. I would say you know if you're if you're a socially like a shy person, the best way to to do that is just to do one of the online ones because they're like especially you know meetup game jams, the kind that we've done. I feel are, are like a very small representation. There, there are currently, there are 447 game jams occurring right now online. And if you want the experience of like, you know, working on something, learning how, you know, how to, how to focus on something in a very short span of time and, you know, turning out a product, no matter how good or bad it is, like you can do that all, you know, from the comfort of your own bedroom and, you know, and learn some skills like, you know. Yeah. Itch.io has a lot going on all the time. They have a giant list just listing a whole bunch of the game jams that they're doing throughout the year. So you can just join in. They have forums where you can like, hey, I'm good at this. And hey, I'm good at this. I had a different experience when I was at Global Game Jam. So if you're like a charming and charismatic person like me, <laughs> <laughs> I just went around pitching my idea and people just started following me all of a sudden. And I had a team. <laughs> but no, yeah. So that's kind of how I did it. I just went like, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, that's a great idea. I'm like, great, work with me. And I kind of pulled in a bunch of people to work. So, so, so come with an idea. So, yeah, I was going to say, so it helps to like have that idea. Well, not necessarily, because if everyone had an idea, nobody would team up with anyone <laughs> because everyone wants to do their idea. It was yep. not. Yeah. So uh, they also did uh, a nice thing where when you came in, you wore what you wanted to do. So like mine's like programmer and whatever. You could do like sound or music. So you can kind of see and keep your eye on like, oh, those are the music people. Those are the blah, blah people. And so then you can go ahead and pick up a group. We had a really good group. I think we had, I was doing the programming. We had two artists. We had someone doing sound, someone doing project management, and someone writing story. So so you had an actual, like, a large group. Because that's the thing is most of these groups are only like three or four people. You just had two groups. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the full experience. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. So, but uh, like Dylan said, if you are a more shy person, a lot of times, uh, some game jams have forums set up before the game jam happens. And so you can introduce yourself there and start talking and kind of form a group before the thing happens. It's always good uh-huh. to bring friends. So if you have people you want to go with and you, at least, you know, if you're going to group, you know, one other person. Yeah. So uh, those are kind of tips if you're a little nervous, but they're great to try at least once. Uh, there's also like the hybrid game jams where like there are, there are certain game jams where you can get together or people come together in a, you know, a group to do things, but everyone does their own projects, which I think is really interesting. Like everything is a single person event where you come with your idea and you do it. So like you have this sort of, you know, communal space where you can ask people for help on things you don't know, but like each but person is just, they, they are singly you focused don't on have a idea. team. It's, yeah. it's your project. And huh. you get- but yeah. So if you're good at that, I, there aren't any around here, so I can't recommend one. Oh no. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that there aren't podcast listeners elsewhere. True. Yeah. Um, you know, again, the, the listings at, at itch.io and there's also indiegamejams.com and there's yep. also um, jams.gamejolt.com, which is just oh, really yeah. cool. It just shows like all of the in-progress jams and how long they run. So you can like just, it's, I don't know. It's cool visual representation. And again, most of those are, are like online things. You can participate without, you know, having to drive somewhere or make friends or interact with people. <laughs> God forbid. Or not uh, get sleep. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. 
But yeah, and there's a the biggest one, uh, Ludum Dare is coming up again. Oh yeah, in December. So December first, they are doing a 48 hour jam, and those ones are always really cool. They have a great uh, website, ludumdare.com, I think. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. But like, just it's a uh, it's really cool because the it's a uh, very like a, a long running. This is the 40th one they've done. So like wow. the stuff that's coming out of it is really cool. They have like you know they're the top quality game jam games. It's really fun to see like. People will pull off some really amazing stuff in that time. Okay. So I just want to talk about working with game jam groups. So once you have your, your group formed, how do you keep people, um, I want to be like on task and focused, especially if they're not kind of motivated the way you are, or like, um, I don't know if it's like coming from 48 hour film festivals, like there are groups which are like, they prepare ahead of time and they like have their cast ahead of time. And then like, they just like kind of shoehorn the, the topic idea in afterward. And so sometimes I'm guessing that there are like, there are teams that are preformed or like people who are, who are super motivated and they're like, how do you, how do you deal with people who have kind of different motivation levels than you? Yeah. Is that a good question or are you just no. like, uh, you don't know? <laughs> it is a good question. Uh, one thing, having a project manager is really nice. So uh, there's that. But if you don't, it's good to check in with people a lot. Uh -huh. So a lot of times uh, that happens, everybody has different communication styles. So sometimes when someone's stuck, they may feel nervous uh, about saying like they need help. And so they'll just kind of like bang their head against mm -hmm. the wall for like, two or three hours and oh, then that's so long. you go check with them and then they haven't finished the thing and you realize if they would have just asked for help you could have like <laughs> said oh this is how you do it uh -huh. and so uh it's good to have someone who just goes and then checks in every so often and be like hey how you doing do you need any help are you coming through with things or if you see someone struggling with someone something uh be prepared to multitask so i did some story writing to help out kind of when we did our thing i know uh Steven did some too. We had uh, one of the artists kind of help the other artists because they were a little newer and kind of like build things up. So it was a lot of double dipping for a lot of people uh -huh. just because people uh, have can turn things in faster or slower or um, you have to be careful of bottlenecks. So oh. um, for example, if you're doing a visual novel, you, there's only so much coding you can do before you need words and art. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so preparing that ahead of time and making sure everything, everybody has something to do. So while I was waiting for assets, I would just get stock images just to throw in there so I could keep oh. working. So always make sure that people have kind of things to do. Or if you notice someone like, well, I'm waiting for someone to do X, see if there's something else they can do further down the line to kind of fix it. So don't be so linear. That kind of hurts the process because then you have a lot of people just sitting around waiting for something. Yeah. And especially when it comes to like motivational differences, I think that, yeah, just as long as you, you are aware of it. Yeah. As long as you're checking in, like I honestly, I can see it being a beneficial thing, uh, especially because people, you know, people tend to work pretty hard at these things. You know, you're, yeah. you're there for a very short time. You got to turn stuff out. Um, and Sometimes if you have been working really, really hard and you run into a bottleneck for someone else, it's, uh, it's a really good excuse to like get up and stretch your legs or like have uh -huh. a 30 minute nap and just sort of like recuperate. Um, and yeah, the key is just not, not letting things get to that point without knowing it. If you're approaching uh -huh. a bottleneck and you're aware because you've talked about it and like someone is learning something. So they're, you know, their code is taking longer to write, you know, if that's what, if that's the way that you know it's going to go, it's a lot easier to either fill in small tasks you can do around it or just say, hey, like, you know, 
this is a time that we're going to offer our assist- assistance to this person, or we're just going to walk away and, you know, get, go get some pizza rolls. Yeah. Breaks are important. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to also ask about food at these events. It, in Nice Games Club, they talked about bagels and, of course, bananas from here to eternity. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, bananas. There's a lot of bagels. There's a lot of pizza rolls that weren't very good. It was the the Tostito, the, the Tweenails pizza rolls. They're like the weird nacho cheese flavor. I don't know why they brought those. Original pizza rolls are the best. But regardless. Yes, they are. <laughs> no, yeah, they were. we were literally guinea pigs for new kinds of pizza rolls. Yeah. Anyways, but thank you for sponsoring us. Anyways. <laughs> uh, we love the originals. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times you'll find a lot of pizza and there'll be a lot of sugary drinks and stuff like that. It's important to eat fruits and vegetables. I can kid you not. There's only so long you could subside on Mountain Dew and Donuts. So uh, most of them are pretty good at that. Like at uh, the Global Game Jam, they had a lot of fruit and like bananas and stuff like that. But Sometimes you just need a good, hot, warm meal. So don't uh-huh. feel bad if, like, you all decide at 6 o'clock we're going to get real food. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to ask how many, how, how often, like, people, like, just, like, teams just, like, get up and, like, go yeah. to a restaurant. We did that quite a bit, actually. We went for lunch and we always went for dinner, even though breakfast, breakfast was pretty much taken <laughs> care of. We just uh-huh. ate, like, trash for 48 hours. <laughs> okay. We just lived in piles of what was Mark brought, was it? Wasn't Jolly Ranchers? He brought some like oh a, tootsie rolls. Yeah, he brought, brought like a ten pound bag of flavored tootsie yeah. rolls. So I yeah, I literally like you said, I I've survived on powdered donuts and Mountain Dew for like twenty seven years. It was great. I <laughs> I tore right in. We ate like ten pounds of of. Oh, tootsie were you rolls. the person who liked the like vanilla like the vanilla tootsie rolls? No, there's some there flavor. There was someone who liked. Yeah, There's I can't some remember. flavor we had some like flavor Mark does not like, and he found somebody to eat them off. Yeah, it was either me or Martha, but yeah, like I don't know. We just ate like garbage. We also didn't go out, so <laughs> get some sunshine. We don't do that. <laughs> uh, oh, what about eating on a train? Oh, that. So, like again, it's it's you have two choices. So on the train jam, uh, of course, they have the dining cars, which are like you know. It's like airplane level food and that's like a step above airplane food, but it's still like you get hot food and you get a a variety of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the majority of the food, they just gave us coupons to like the snack train car, which is just like a pile of chips. And so, yeah, (laughs) it's like you get generally, I figure if you can get one solid meal, because most of them, you know, in 48 hours, if you get one big meal, you, you're not going to die, you know, you'll survive. So like we went to the dining car once and had a good meal. And that was, you know, that was the only time the throughout the entire thing that we ate anything besides snacks. <laughs> yeah. uh, it also depends on your project. So scope is important. Be very, very, very careful of scope creep at game jams. So uh, when you have an idea, realize a lot of times a lot of these are prototypes. So don't ex- sometimes people do make full games, but usually they have a very one, very simple mechanic uh-huh. that the game does. Because yeah. a lot of times people do just intros to the games. Like, so like pro- Go ahead. Clawbreaker yeah. was a game jam game, but it's very simple. Yeah. It's not you're a crab and you go around a world. It's you're a crab <laughs> and you fight one other crab. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> a lot of times people build these out after game jams. Uh, the game they start here gives them like a boost to work on it later on, even if it's just one of the people who decide to take it on. Uh, yeah, so- I hear it's like a two month high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so keep your ideas small. Be very careful when you hear ideas. That sound like you're making Final Fantasy. (laughs) 
Man, that would be awesome. I would love to see a Final Fantasy game jam. Just see how far people can get. <laughs> or task get everyone, split them off into groups, and everyone writes one part of the adventure, and then you just stitch them all together <laughs> in this horrible, twisted mess. That would be hilarious. That would work. Uh, all right, guys. So we're announcing the work. Evil Games Club. Uh, we're going to set up our own game jam, jam. for Final Fantasy. Uh, we're going to have Where it doesn't art. make any sense. Yep. And, like, actually... Back to reality for for just a brief moment before we go tearing off. Um, at the train jam, one of the really cool things they did uh, is they gave us all care packages when we came on that had like soap and deodorant and toothbrushes, oh. but also um, they gave us flash drives, which were of course really useful when we didn't oh have the internet. Gosh. But every flash drive came with Unity and project management resources and a bunch of free assets and a bunch of sounds like. It was a really oh. great kickstart, especially because on the train jam, you don't have wireless, you, no. know, you don't have, have internet for 98% of the trip. It's a lifesaver to have like even the, a small repository of stuff that everyone can get on the same page. And it's especially nice for like, yeah, you know, people. So we did our game in Unity and that was our first like stumbling block was for the first couple hours, we were getting everyone on the same version of Unity because everyone was doing their own projects and some people hadn't updated and having that all on a stick that everyone had just being like, this is what we're going to use. Like really good idea. It was really oh. good on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but like I was saying, Yay, so our final fantasy, <laughs> our final fantasy game jam, we can have like all the assets, like all the, the sprites for the characters. So people can do whatever art they want for their adventure, but then this character stay the same. <laughs> that was so cool. Yes. We can use RPG maker. Cause it's really yeah, fast. Exactly. Just make it clean, simple, old style final fantasy. Oh, that'd be awesome. All make right. It happen guys. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is our next topic? Actually, we're having a game jam. No. Oh, oh su- surprise. No, <laughs> no, 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 our final topic is bad game dev habits. This is mm-hmm. my topic because Mark has some bad habits and I'm <laughs> blaming him on being a game dev. I kind of wanted to talk about as being the significant other and sometimes a game dev yourself, what bad habits game devs have and how you deal with them. <laughs> I bring I bring this up first because um, this has been like a really event heavy week um, in the Minnesota game dev community. I know that there are events at Glitch nearly every single day. I think every single day. Yeah, I watched Steven sleepwalk off to a, a date with Adia on Tuesday, <laughs> <laughs> which also happened to be Mark's birthday and where I I came and had dinner with Mark and then left him at Glitch to work on a presentation, his Star Trek VR presentation, which he gave at IGDA on Wednesday. And I did not see him for the rest of the night. He came to bed at 6.30 a.m. Wow. Yeah, so I know that for Metro Nexus, this is a game that Mark's kind of been working on for years. Um, he's, it started as a single player game, and you guys have not played it as a single player game because that doesn't exist because it morphed into the multiplayer game because it was supposed to be mostly a single player game and then like a little component of like multiplayer game. And then it turned into multiplayer with like, Things that shoot, and then multiplayer with like these cool items that I hate, and then it just kind of like went from there. And then, um, then like I also said, he also keeps getting distracted by different things. For example, instead of finishing his game, he started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that happened. That takes up a bunch of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then he also has this idea for creating a playtest website where people can upload their games and then people can, like, then players can play them and report on bugs. Um, and so it's essentially a tool for demoing and playtesting. Um, and then he also gets distracted by doing other games and projects. And so, like, he's, like, he did the, the Star Trek VR game as an installation for um, Minnesota Orchestra Hall over the summer. And then I, we also got caught up in playtesting a Star Trek D and D style RPG. Oh yeah, yeah. That, we're not playtesting awesome. that anymore. We're in it. <laughs> well, well, it hasn't come out yet. So, like, that was that was a playtest, and, well, and we've then, been playtesting for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's coming out, so soon we'll just be playing it. It's called Star Trek Adventures. So that's like kind of where he is, and I know like for Fingens, like they've been working on it for years, and. They're continuously adding more characters. Yeah. So the biggest thing for them is that uh, with Steven and uh, Lane and the people they work with, they're really, there's a lot of things that they're adding in. So it was the same thing where the original game was an entirely different kind of idea. Uh, if I remember how Steven explained it, you like had a game, it was mobile and you played it on your phone. And then when you got to a certain point, you're supposed to switch the phone with someone else and then they take over and it was supposed to be like a pass around game. Wow. At. Oh, that is not what Vengeance is right now. No, <laughs> no but like Metro Nexus also started as this will be mobile. Yeah. And so they went and play tested it and it just went awful. And they're like, this isn't what we want to make. And so they entirely changed their idea. So all that work had to shift over. And then uh, Lane is a person who likes a lot of content and story in this game. He needs it to have that juice. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of times he wants to fill it with stuff. Their biggest worry is they won't have enough content like the person will play and they'll be done in 30 minutes and they don't have like a full game they want to make sure they give the player full experience but you have to be careful about that because you don't want to get too hung up on that's, like keep adding more stuff and more stuff like uh, that seems like the easy part because you just add more levels well they're they're they don't want the levels to be the same so they're always just trying to come up with different mechanics and because it progresses it's a bullet hell game for players who don't know vengeance is a bullet hell game where you play as fish who lost the ability to breathe underwater because it was stolen by dolphins. And now argue about this last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now because of it, they are fighting in submarines to get that back. And so there's a lot of cool levels and you can level up. They have really cool mechanics. Each player feels very different. And so like they're doing a good job on adding this, but uh, I think they were, you have to be very careful of like how perfect something has to be. Mm -hmm. Like that will slow you down tremendously. Like, this has to be perfect. I know in my own habits, I have to, I'm getting better at that, but a lot of times I'm working on something and it's good and then I scrap it because it's not perfect. <laughs> yeah, in the film community, they have a phrase which is done is better than perfect. Yeah, exactly. And I have to get better at that. Yeah, because like every time I look, they're like, oh, we brought a new character on and they're like, this is Merlin and he's got big eyebrows and, and I'm like, how many characters are you going to have? I already can't keep them straight yeah they have a new game mode too where uh, it's a time <laughs> attack with the bosses what yeah i didn't even know they were working on it until they showed it at the last play test which is really cool like i it's not that it's not really cool oh no yeah, yeah. That that's the thing is creepy. it's a really great game and it's yeah. fun to play but that's the thing is like other people should be allowed to play it other than just us who are seeing like these iterative developments yeah. if it were a finished game i feel like you know even not even at this stage, it's a it's a robust game. Yes. If they had a couple more levels, even if they were not that 
like it weren't changed that much, it would be a really fun game to play just because you have the interplay between the different characters and like, yeah, mechanics are great, but bullet hells are bullet hells. You know, a lot of bullets on the screen equals fun pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And yeah, just the, the number of characters and now they have a boss rush mode. Like, yeah, that's, this is a fully featured game. We're approaching like Sonic mania level <laughs> of like game that was built as a, you know, yeah. that started out as something They're else. They're trying to finish it within the next year. So we'll see. We well, see. I remember hearing something at the beginning of summer about like, before Charles goes back to school, we're making this big push. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Martha's only ba- bad game dev habit that I can think of is she never works on her games. So it's kind of the opposite because she has, you know, a couple of game ideas uh, and she loves doing concept art and drawing cute little characters uh, and never ever touching code or putting anything together or showing it to anyone. So I feel like... It sounds like she needs a team and a project manager. Yeah, she needs someone to whip her into shape. So if any, yeah, if we have any volunteers... Yeah, because like, (laughs) Mark is self-motivating. He just has like the scope problem along with the distracted by other projects problem yeah Yeah, and i think martha and i share a distaste for well just complete lack of motivation whatever motivates people to do things just isn't there we're like what do you call it we're inert until we are acted upon we're noble (laughs) gases Yeah, and then I was going to make the comment that that scope creep isn't just a problem in gaming i um in my work, I we use that exact phrase, the scope creep. Um, I I am an auditor, a quality auditor, and so um, with, when I'm auditing other companies, it's it's not really a problem because I am there for one day and then I am out, and that that is it. That is my that's your game jam. That is my <laughs> that is my game jam. But like when I'm back at home, I also take on internal audits, and I don't have a time limit there, and so I have scope group there because like then I go in and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what we're doing over there, and then I start looking at it, and I start reading our procedures, and I start digging into like some some records that we have and looking at that. And it's hard because like I, you know, my motivation is to make our systems better and make sure that we're following all the right things, but it's hard not to get carried away. And that's with really boring things. Not like (laughs) I'm making a great fun game. (laughs) And, and I have like at the beginning of my audit, I have a document that I write that like has a place that is just labeled scope. And I write that in and sometimes that helps keep me at the and sometimes it doesn't. Because when, when you're looking around, you're looking around. So so it's not just a problem with game devs. Scope creep is a problem with other people's and lives. Oh, well, yeah. I might have to get some more sticky notes and just say, scope, done is better than perfect. Just switch to my computer. <laughs> oh, another thing I see a lot of game devs do is the big rewrite. So uh, when you're, especially when you're new and you're beginning, you start working on something and naturally you're going to get better. And then at a certain point, you notice that the stuff you did earlier isn't as good as the stuff you did now. And so you're tempted to start all over again because you're so much better now. (laughs) And then the exact same things happen. When you get to the other, a certain point, you realize the stuff you did in the beginning isn't as good as the stuff. And then just that just keeps happening over and over and over and over again. Right. And so you have to be very careful of that, like finish it and then start a new game with the new skills you learned from that other game instead of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's like a problem that game devs kind of solve is like, yeah, 
you know, like you can pick it up and develop it further, but most of the time you're done with that game. Yes. Yeah. And like, that's really good because yeah, like I take all these like lessons from film because that's what Mark used to do is like, you want to be like your first idea isn't your best idea or you like, don't save your best idea because you're always going to have more ideas and yeah. don't go back and fix things because you don't have time for that. Yeah. And, that's and, really and, good like, advice. and I want, I want to think of it as be like, you know, if, if somebody else did that code, you know, because your past self is kind of somebody else, would you go back and recode somebody else's stuff just because it wasn't as good as yours? Like, they would be so mad at you. <laughs> like, imagine, like, like, imagine if your boss did that to you and was like, That was hey. not where I expected that metaphor to go. <laughs> No, so that's you. Like this, this code isn't as good as mine. Let me do this all over again. Like use that work. <laughs> I know, and it, most of the time it's working stuff, and then it's just not like yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's work done mm-hmm. is better than perfect. Exactly. Yeah. About ready to wrap this up. Yeah, I was just gonna say work life sleep balance, and then I had is it possible? And I was like, not with Mark Lacroix, not with Martha, but on the opposite. Not with Stephen. <laughs> So no, it's not possible. You, oh, one of them oh. things always loses. Oh, okay. No, no positive takeaway on, the, on well, this podcast. We no. are evil. Uh, uh, for one I, thing about work-life balance, a good thing to do. Okay, so I got this off of another podcast. Um, a developer, he has a ritual when he's done with work to trick his mind to letting him know work is done. So at the end of each workday, he says, work system shutting down. And he like physically thinks about that. And so he says that every day at the end of work. And he says, because of that, he's able to like not think of work. And when he gets into work, he's like, okay, work system power on. And then he's ready. And just that kind of mantra helps him divide work. And then when he's home, his work system is off. So I just thought that was a really cute thing that <laughs> he was talking about. It, it is really cute. Have you, tr- have you tried it at all? Yes, I have. It actually works. Because <laughs> you... When your mind is wrestling, another good thing is that a lot of times you have all these ideas running through your head mm-hmm. all the time. Yep. A good thing to help you sleep is get a notebook. So I try this on the computer, and for some reason, this is one of the re- times where tactile is best. Get you an actual journal and an actual pencil, you know, those things that exist to write. And you go ahead and just write everything that's in your head. Just do a brain dump. And once you do that, you're more ready to go to sleep because... For some reason, your brain realizes that this stuff is written down. It's not going anywhere. And so you can sleep knowing when you wake up in the morning and you open your notebook, there is where all your ideas are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that where like I I need to like write everything down. Yep. Otherwise, I think I'm going to forget things. That's my writing style is like Mark writes down everything and makes <laughs> make sure it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> before, before, you know, like just when he's like, crafting sentences and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, writing for whatever. And I'm like, I can't do that. I need to get the next sentence out. Even if it's not, if it doesn't, if it isn't a sentence, it needs to get on paper. And then I fix everything later. Yeah. So, yep. Okay. Yeah. I think that like kind of what works in your and Steven's relationships is you both have the game, you both game devs. And so that like that helps like helps you understand each other. Yeah. We're on similar <laughs> wavelengths. Yeah. And then, um, I met Mark before he was game <laughs> so, so that that helps, but like he also was never one who could like sleep. Yeah. So I've been dealing with that for a long time. Well, Stephen likes 
oh, he, he hasn't, this, this habit has changed since he's met me. But he used to go to bed really early. Like he would go to bed at nine o'clock so he could wake up at five in the morning because he liked having the mornings to himself. And I was like, we'll never see each other. <laughs> oh, that's oh that's so God. insane. Oh. <laughs> wow. See, yeah. Martha's problem is just that she can't sleep at night, but she can sleep any other time. So the only time she does work is between like two and four in the morning. And any other time, if you're like, hey, Martha, like, what are you working on? She's like, uh, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is when you talk about work-life balance, I think work-life sleep balance is far more important to talk about uh-huh. because that's where like definitely I, you know, I love sleep, but not like Martha. Martha is next level on the sleep. She's she's a true de- devotee of constant lethargy. <laughs> <laughs> Work-life balance, something to strive for, but good luck. Yes. Yeah, I don't believe it exists. (laughs) (laughs) So I have things where I do a rush of motivation and I do a whole bunch of things for like a week and then nothing happens next week. And then I beat myself up about it. Like, dang, if I would have worked that week, I could have had it done. Don't beat yourself up on stuff like that. Like that's not good. Uh, A nice thing or trick to get you if you're in that is just to say, I'm going to work on this for five minutes. And that's it. Like literally set a timer for five minutes and then just start. And if after the five minutes, you don't feel like doing anything else, fine. You worked on it for five minutes. But normally what happens is you get in the groove and you just, that act of starting is usually the hardest part. And so Uh then you can keep going, but don't feel bad if you say you the five minutes because five minutes is better than no minutes. Yeah. Yes. true. I got to work on that. All right. That's our show. This is normally the part where Mark tells you to subscribe to Nice Games Club, so go ahead and do that, but only so you can catch it the next time we take over the show. The Nice Games Club is always looking for feedback, so tell them that the Evil Games Club is the best. You can do that on Twitter, at Nice Games Club. But whatever you do, don't fill out their feedback form, dicegames.club slash feedback. Don't do it. Not ever. Episode notes are at nicegames.club and on Reddit at r slash gamedev. So until next time we take over the clubhouse, remember to... Be mean and make trouble. Man, that part's hard. Ah, every time. Oh, you did good. Uh, okay, we can do it again. Don't fill out their feedback form. Nice games club. Dot. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.